0: Welcome to worship with Dawson Memorial Baptist Church. At Dawson, we seek to be found faithful as God's people as we become and help others become faithful servants of Jesus Christ. Now join us as we worship God through the teaching of his word in today's message. It's good to be here today. I'm delighted to be here here at Dawson, and I'm very thankful and grateful to uh, Dr. Eldridge for inviting me to uh, uh, to preach today. He has been so kind and gracious to Altafe and to me in so many ways. We are so fortunate as a church to have Dr. Eldridge as our pastor. He's an outstanding preacher, Bible teacher, pastoral, gives great pastoral care. And I'm grateful to be a member of this church and thankful that God has called Dr. Eldridge to be our pastor now. Today, the Scripture on this Father's Day is, um, is a passage from First Thessalonians that you heard Hal read earlier. There is one verse out of it that I would like to draw attention to. It's verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another, and build one another up, just as you are doing. Therefore, encourage one another, and build one another up, just as you are doing. Let me tell you the story about a friend of mine who passed away not too long ago. When he was a young man in his early 20s, he was older than I was, but I remember visiting him. He was a Christian, been in church most of his life, came uh, to be a believer at a young age. But in his 20s, when you were around him, it wasn't long before he turned every conversation into something negative, especially about the condition of the world. He would describe in detail the sinfulness of the world, which he was accurate. He would list the failures of the church and how churches didn't really do what they were supposed to do, and often he was right. I remember on one occasion he looked at me and he says, Gary, by the time you and I are old men, it will be be illegal to be a Christian in the United States. And he would often end his diatribe with, If it's this bad in America, just think about how bad it is in the rest of the world. Well, at that time, I was dealing with the call to preach. I knew that God was leading me into some type of ministry. And I thought, is that the kind of people I've got to preach to every Sunday? Fine Christian man. But it was just so negative. And it was discouraging to a young person. Let's jump ahead 30, 35 years. When he was in his early 60s, he was one of the most encouraging men that I've ever been around. If it was a beautiful day, he would say, God has made this day. Wow, aren't we thankful to him? If it was a rainy day, he would say, God knows we need the rain, and he always gives it at the right, gives it at the right time. And if it was cold weather, he said, I don't like cold weather, but Thankfully, God doesn't give me just what I want. I know I need this today. I remember hearing him in one conversation at a time that he was not, was not able to do his lawn work, and the crew came by and while I was there and worked on And he went out and thanked each individual who was a part of the lawn crew and said, thank you. I know God's using your gifts, and I hope you will keep it up. Thank you for the outstanding work that you do. Very positive and upbeat. On one occasion, I heard a brief conversation between him and a small group leader in his church that was apparently discouraged. And he said to him, God's using you in a wonderful way. I don't know why you feel so discouraged, but you have a gift and God's using it in you. And thank you for leading this Bible study. What happened between the guy that was negative when he was in his 20s and in his 60s was very positive? Usually, you think of it just being the reverse. But what happened? You may think, well, he lived a, such a good life and he had good things happening to him. And No, he didn't have good things happening to him. His life is filled with suffering. He would lose a job, have to change his career, He would have to sell his home, live in rental houses several years. He struggled in life. They lost an adult child. Great amount of suffering in his life. I never specifically asked him what made the difference. But on one occasion, I heard him share with a friend something that had significantly changed his life. He said, First, I realized that I had spent much of my life focusing on the negative commands of Scripture. The the don'ts, the thou shalt nots. And he says, I tried not to neglect them, but at the same time to focus on the positive commands. And he said, the more that I found I focused on the positive commands, the better I obeyed the negative commands. But he said, the second thing that was helpful in my life was, I think he said he was in his early 50s, mid to 50s. They moved to a new community. They joined a a church there that there was a Sunday school class, and he says the men in the class made a commitment that they would call each other, and they had a rotation system, how they would do it, and call each person, each man in the group with something encouraging every day. It may be a word of prayer. It might be a verse of Scripture. It was something to build them up every day. And he says, now those men, he says, many of them gone home to be with the Lord, but several of them live different places in the United States. And he says, I still receive phone calls from them encouraging me and building me up. What a difference. The power of encouragement made in his life. Now, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the church in Thessalonica, and in verse 11, he has one of those positive commands Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you have been doing. When you and I read that passage, We're tempted to read it like we read a Hallmark card. That's nice. And then we put it away or go to a different passage of Scripture. But this is not just a nice little saying. It is a command. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another. It is a strong command, and you go back to chapter 4 of the book of 1 Thessalonians, and it ends with a very similar statement of to encourage one another. It's a positive command, and it's so important for today. We live in a negative, discouraging world. And as the body of Christ, as the church, it is imperative that we not become discouraged, and that we not give in to the, the negative forces. Now, let's look at the context of this, and I think you will see some similarity of that day versus this day, and it will help us understand how to apply this command. The Apostle Paul and Silas and Timothy, they went to Thessalonica on a mission trip. Thessalonica seemed like a great place to go on a mission trip. It was a a community that tolerated a variety of religions. There was the Caesar cult, the imperial cult that was there where people worshipped Caesar. There were several of the Greek and Roman gods that were worshipped. There was even a significant population of Egyptians who had a different kind of cults that they worshipped. And then there was a significant number of Jews in the community. And it did not seem to create a great amount of tension. You think it would be an ideal place for the Christian faith to come? Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they go to the Jewish synagogue. There they began to preach the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, how that Jesus was the promised Messiah. People come to faith. It's an exciting and an encouraging time. They were there only three weeks, but at the end of three weeks, opposition began to build to them. Opposition said, hey, these guys are preaching that somebody else is king, and it's, it's not Caesar. And they saw them as a threat and said, you can't leave, leave these guys. They're, they're turning the world upside down, and terrible things are going to happen if Rome ever finds out about their preaching in Thessalonica will be punished as an entire city and so the enemies began to persecute and they forced Paul and Silas to leave in the middle of the night just 3 weeks after the church had been had started now 18 months later Paul's left he's in Corinth and he thinks about the church at Thessalonica. He knows it had such an outstanding birth moment, but he's wondered how the people are dealing with the suffering there. And so he sends Timothy to go back to give him <coughs> excuse me to give him a report. Timothy goes and visits Thessalonica. He comes back to Corinth and visits Paul, and he says, "You'd be amazed at what's happening." God is still working in that place, even though that's a negative, has been a negative environment. And he says there's two or three things that uh, they've, they've had some confusion on, and they struggle a little bit with holy living. So the Apostle Paul writes a letter back to them. First, it's a letter of encouragement, it's a letter saying, Hey, I hear things are going well, I'm gonna commend you. And then he dresses in chapters four and five. The issues over which they are confused, and one of the issues is what happens to those who die and are believers. To us, we don't really struggle with that, but it's important to remember these people expected Christ to come not only in their lifetime, but they were expecting it immediately. And they knew that if they were living, Christ would take them to heaven. But apparently, some who had come to faith under Paul's preaching had died. Jesus hasn't come yet. And they're thinking, what's going to happen to them? What's going to happen to their lives? We don't know that they're going to go to heaven. And the Apostle Paul writes to them and assures them, the dead in Christ shall rise first. They will be taken to heaven along with the rest of the believers. And he says, be assured, those who die in the Lord, they're going to be all right. And when he finishes that section, that's when he gives the first command. He says, On the, because you've heard one of the paraphrases of this passage, says, because you've heard these things that I've said to you, encourage one another. Now, in chapter 5, he addresses the second issue. It's related. It's regarding the second coming of Christ. When the apostle Paul has been in Thessalonica, he has preached the total gospel. The total gospel. Jesus came, died for our sins. On the third day, arose from the dead. And Jesus is coming again. He is coming again to hold the world accountable for their sin, and the believers will be taken to be to heaven. He had preached that. They were expecting that at any minute, but it had been 18 months, and Jesus had not come yet. And then the Apostle Paul, in writing chapter five, makes a statement that sometimes is a little bit difficult for us to com- comprehend. He says, "You do not need any further instruction." regarding the second coming or regarding the day of the Lord. You already have the information you need. And then he goes ahead and explains. He says, you are aware that Jesus will come unexpectedly. And as a result, you are to live your lives in such a way that you'll be ready for His return. He said, you're not like the people of the night the people of the dark side. He says, we are people of the light. And we live in such a way, and he gives a little instruction there encouraging them to to keep living in a proper way. And he says, and as a result we do not need to fear when the Lord is going to come again. We can be confident and we know that He will return. Then he says, therefore, And why is the therefore, therefore? It is there to say, because of these truths that I have just taught to you, you are to encourage one another. Now, this message today is primarily to Christians. It is to Christians that you may be feeling discouraged, but you may be encouraged, but keeping it within yourself. Why is this such a big issue to Paul? Well, he knows that when people are discouraged, they're more likely to give in to temptation. When they are encouraged, they are more likely to resist temptation. And as a result, he is addressing the issue of sinful behavior in their life, and he said, encourage one another. Build one another up so that you have the strength to resist temptation. It's easy for us to forget that discouraged people cave in. When I was in Stillwater, Oklahoma, there was a gentleman in our church that told me a little bit of the backstory of his life. He had been a a non-believer. He was trained as a plumber, lost his business because he had lung problems, started into doing home remodeling, lung problems impacted that. He couldn't be around sawdust, couldn't be into that. And as a result, he really didn't have much of a marketable skill because he could only work two or three days a week. When he was... (laughs) excuse me, his first marriage ended in divorce because of the issues, and he struggled with alcoholism. And then he became a believer, and God began to work in his life. He still was not able to hold down a full-time job. He was still doing some part-time things, and I met him not long after I become pastor of the church, and he told me, he said, now there's not much I can do in this church. He said, I can't my tithe isn't much. He said, I can't do a lot of volunteer work. I can do some. He said, but I can pray. And I would like to come in and have two appointments with you a month, no longer than 15 minutes, usually 10 minutes, and I will pray for you. That's, that's basically all that I have to give. He started making the appointments with me, and sometimes the meetings extended a little longer at my leading, because I wanted to hear what God was doing in his life. He said he had struggled with alcohol, but through AA, attending a weekly meeting, he says, I find that that helps me fight the resistance to, 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 to deal with the alcohol. But he said, there's another thing that I do. Every day in my morning devotions, I write down three things about myself that I know. He says, they're the same three things every day. I write, I am forgiven. I am a child of God. Second, I have been filled with the Holy Spirit. I am equipped to serve. Third, I am going to heaven when I die because of the grace of Jesus Christ. And he said, it's amazing how when I pray... And have my devotional and end with that thought of how much stronger I feel. And then he said, But sometimes it doesn't really work that well. He said, Occasionally, I need to hear a human voice say that. I need to hear it from, a, from someone speaking to me. He said, Would you do me a favor? From this time on, every time we meet for prayer, would you look me in the eye and say those three things to me? You are forgiven. You are a child of God. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are equipped to serve. You are going to heaven, for, uh, going to heaven when you die because of the grace of Jesus Christ. And you could, when you spoke those words to him, it was almost you could see him add confidence to his daily living He said, the times that I am tempted to cave in and go back to drinking, he says, hearing those words from you builds me up. We are more like Ray, more like him, Ray, than we are, we'd like to admit. We all struggle with different temptations And when we have been bombarded with negative discouraging things about the church, about what's happening in the world by the church, I mean the worldwide church, and how difficult it is, we want to, we find ourselves wanting to give in. But it's when we remind ourselves what God has done for us, and when we remind one another... Because often when you and I read Scripture, we read it so fast to get through it, or we read it, and sometimes we read it and think, I heard that, I read that, but I don't really know what it said to me, because our minds are discouraged or pulled away. But when you have someone look you in the eye, and remind you of who you are in Christ, and that you possess the Spirit of God, and that you have a home in heaven, it builds us up and gives us strength. Paul was aware that in that first century, that small struggling congregation that had the whole world appearing to be against us, that he understood that they needed to encourage one another more than ever. But there was the second reason. The second reason is he was calling them to the Spirit-filled life and in a very subtle way he was using encouragement as a means of calling them to live that spirit filled life do you remember in John chapter 14 through 16 Jesus is speaking about the holy spirit he's speaking to his disciples his disciples this is before the death and resurrection of Jesus John 14 through 16 is so the concept of the Holy Spirit really is difficult for them to get to grasp, and we cannot be critical of them, because it would be for us as well, because it was, seemed so foreign. They were concerned about Jesus leaving, and Jesus says, but I'm going to send another one. I'm going to send a comforter. The word, He says, I'm going to send a paraclete. A paraclete means alongside of. It's someone with you. In other words, Jesus is no longer going to be alongside of them, but the Holy Spirit will be alongside of them. It's not a literal alongside of, because at the day of Pentecost, we know the Spirit of God comes and dwells in us internally. But it's the idea, you're not going to be doing this alone. They didn't understand it until the day of Pentecost, and then they came to the full recognition of what it meant to have the power of the Spirit in their life. Now, when Paul writes this, he says, encourage one another. That word, encourage, is the verb form of paraclete. It's a word that means, come alongside of. And he's saying, you need to come alongside of your fellow believers. You need to function in the role of the Spirit of God as you lift and encourage one another up. Several months ago, I was visiting with, it's a long story, a gentleman who was traveling from Jackson, Mississippi to Atlanta, and he was getting his automobile worked on. He had stopped at a dealership, and I was getting my car serviced. He had been there a couple hours, and he was ready to talk. He bored... He asked me what I did for a living, and I said, well, I'm a retired pastor. And he says, oh, you're a pastor. Let me tell you my story. (laughs) Well, I thought I was going to hear, you know, I went to a church, and all they were interested in was my money. But it wasn't that story. He told me about his, his discouraging life he had had. And he says, and I go to church, and he says, It's the most positive thing that happens in my family's life is church. He said, I was Christian, but I really didn't pay that much attention. But he says, our church community, and this was not long after the COVID crisis. He says, it's what's kept me going because everything is so negative. I want to say... Bet you go to Dawson. No. It's the kind of church you are. But think of that. The most positive place that he goes, that's the family of God. That's what we're supposed to do, to lift one another up. That's the work of the Spirit. And so often when we are discouraged, THE HOLY SPIRIT SPEAKS TO WASH THROUGH PEOPLE. WHEN WE THINK OF THE HOLY SPIRIT, WE SOMETIMES THINK OF SORT OF A a brooding FORCE OVER THE EARTH. BUT THE HOLY SPIRIT DWELLS IN US. WHEN I AS A CHRISTIAN SPEAK TO YOU, IF I AM LED BY THE SPIRIT AND YOU ARE LED BY, THEN WHAT WE SAY IS FROM THE SPIRIT. Very early in my ministry, I was at a very discouraging moment. I'd been in a church that was growing rapidly, and good things were happening. Every Sunday decisions were being made. We were trying to enlarge the church all the time. And then God called me to another location, and it was a stable church. We went 13 weeks without any decisions. I was beginning to question whether God led me there. At the time when the church called me, I thought, this is the will of God. But I was beginning to question and wonder. I did a funeral primarily as a favor to the funeral director. It was uh, for an elderly gentleman who had passed away in the nursing home. He had almost no family. And the funeral director said, I just need you to do the graveside service. He said, there may be eight to 10 people there. And there was eight to 10 people there. And no one was real close to the deceased. And I I was thinking, you know, Lord, is this where you want me where I'm in this community and it seems like the only excitement I ever have The only where I see you at work is at something like this. But a lady came up to me that I'd never seen before, and she said, God has His hand on your life. She was from out of town. She did not introduce herself. And she repeated a bit, God has His hand on your life. I went back to my study and began to rethink about when God had called me to that community AND THAT ONE STATEMENT GAVE ME ENERGY AND PASSION. SHE HAD ENCOURAGED ME. DIDN'T MAKE PROMISES, DIDN'T SAY WHAT IT WAS ABOUT, BUT JUST SIMPLY SAID GOD'S HAND IS ON YOUR LIFE. BECAUSE I WAS FEELING SOMEHOW I HAD MISSED IT BY MOVING THERE, AND YET GOD'S HAND WAS ON MY LIFE. You and I deal with people every day, Christians, who are struggling. Maybe their job is discouraging them. Maybe they watch the news and get discouraged. Maybe they hear something negative, and they think, we as Christians are getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and what's going to happen next? We know what's going to happen next. The Lord will return. And if we are believers, We will be raised to be with Him. We will be taken, and we are going to be in heaven. And as a result, we can serve with passion and enthusiasm. And that's what that statement up above the baptistry, to be found faithful as God's people. To be found faithful as God's people means we don't just Suit up, show up, and shut up here on Sunday. But all week long, we encourage one another. We build up one another. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you have been doing. Let us pray. Thank you for joining us today. To learn more about our family of faith or to learn how to become a follower of Jesus, please visit DawsonChurch.org. Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.